Probably the best school radio station in the world. This is Bry Radio. Proudly sponsored by the BPA. Okay, good evening everyone. I apologise, we're quite late starting tonight. However, welcome to Bry Island Disc. You are listening to me, Ollie Spencer. We've got DJ Zan here in the studio as well. And, of course, the start of the show, Mr. Fallowoy. It is great to have you here today. So, <laughs> now, tonight we are setting you ashore the beautiful, the wonderful Bry Island uh, with your five tracks of choice. Um, so, Mr. Fallow, my first question for you. Where did your musical taste originate? Did your friends and family influence you or did you break the mould as such? Yeah, I was actually just talking to my dad on the way down here and I was thinking that uh, if I had more than five songs, I would have tried to have put in one of his sort of funny country music songs that he always used to put on the, on the tape, in the cassette, in the car. My family was a very musical family, I suppose. Uh, My father always loved music. Uh, My brother went on to be a choral scholar, actually, at Cambridge, and he and I sang a huge amount together. So we used to sing a lot in the car, so that's when it all started, and we used to harmonise and sing. And then I suppose my own personal taste began a little bit at, at Harrow School, where I was, stuck in boarding boys' school uh, without much else to do apart from smoke a few too many cigarettes and listen to, to Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> and Genesis. I almost put a Genesis track on this as well. Um, the, so I, I listened then, but I, didn't, I don't think I ever really found anything I particularly loved. And actually, I suppose when I went to university, that's when I started to really listen to music a lot. And that when, that's when I got into Bruce Springsteen, who remains my favourite to this day, actually. No, that's lovely. Bruce Springsteen is your, he's, I mean, he's the artist of your, of your first track, which we'll get onto in a minute. So, um, so I guess we're quite a family thing for, you know, you and your brother and your, and your dad. So I guess, you, you know, you're, you're a man of many talents and, and music is definitely one of them. So, and you mentioned singing. Do you, did you sing quite a lot at school? And university? Yeah, I sang a lot. Uh, I tried to play a musical instrument, but I gave up at grade four because I was making such an awful noise on the violin. <laughs> but fortunately, I always had singing um, and I love singing. Uh, so I sang a lot at school. Um, I sang quite a lot at university as well. Um, oh, just changing my microphone there. Apologies, that's that's on us. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully that should work a little bit better. Are we all right there? Yeah. <laughs> Can I be heard? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I sang all the way through. I sang a lot of choral music. Again, I almost put in some choral music, but I didn't think really it would thrill everyone. But I used to love singing in choirs. I'm not actually particularly religious but I always used to love singing choral music and I sang all types of music at school and again at university, went on choir tours and things like that. And when I first came to Bryanston, I sang a lot in the choirs here Um, and I sang in sort of barbershop quartets and things. We used to have lots of fun stuff. And of course, I still sing on an annual basis in the staff review uh, where I, (laughs) Mike, Doc Carney and I always do our double act and uh, that's your tutor, of course. Um, yes, yes. And, you know, we, I, I love singing. I've always loved singing. Um, and as I say, my, so has all my family and my children, actually. That's amazing. No, it's, it's one of my favourite. I guess it's a musical instrument, really, isn't it? No, it's one, one of my favourite. It is. And, and one of the easiest as well. Absolutely. <laughs> if I'm being it's honest, it doesn't take a lot of practice. No, that's unlike every other instrument that one would try to play. Yeah, definitely. So um, talk to me a little bit about school, actually, for you. So you said mm. you went to Harrow. I mean, you know, that's a really kind of top of the line school definitely to go to. In the yeah, UK anyway. it wasn't actually a particularly good school when I was there. I think it's a better school now. I went there because my dad went there 
uh, and my dad was a, a very uh, traditional man, still is. Uh, I loved Harrow, so he sent me there. Um, yeah, I, to be honest, I would never send my child to a single-sex uh, boys' school, which Harrow still is now. Um, I, I much prefer co-ed, which is why I teach at Branston. Uh, Harrow was fine. It was fine. Uh, I was lucky in that I had a brilliant classics department, which is why I, I went on to study classics at, at university. Um, and quite a lot of things I enjoyed, like sport, it was pretty good at. So I enjoyed that. Uh, but it was actually quite limited on music and uh, not brilliant at drama. Uh, it's much better now, to be fair, I think. But I had a good time and I've still got good friends from there. But it isn't, I don't think, it's not the type of education that I wanted my children to go through, although it is a, a fine school, but I much prefer them to come to a slightly more liberal, artistic, co-educational school like Bryanston. Definitely. No. So, I mean, one of the huge differences you mentioned there, actually, is compared to uh, a boys school or, you know, a single sex school compared to um, a, uh, a co-education school. Would you say there's a challenge or a limitation going, you know, having um, going to a... Uh, a single sex school over a co-education school yeah i just i think it's pretty challenging because it's just very unnatural um i actually went to a single sex prep school as well so i went single sex all the way through and i just think if you're in a boarding school you spend so much of your time there and in the old days when i was there you spent more of your time you didn't have as many weekends exiats and all that so you spent so much of your time there and in those incredibly formative years of between 13 and 18, it's just pretty odd to spend it all with one, one gender, one sex. Um, and, and not, I don't think, a particularly good preparation for life. I remember when I went to uh, university, I went to Cambridge. So I was in a, a college, Trinity Hall, a lovely small college. And I remember finding it really odd. And by this time, I was 18 so I'm finding it really odd that I was in the same sort of corridor as as uh, a, a few women. <laughs> I found it really <laughs> odd because I'd never known that. And so I don't think it's a particularly healthy way to be prepared for life because how how one mixes with each other and between genders is so crucial. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. No, definitely. And uh, and university you went to Cambridge. So I guess that was quite different to um you know, school, uh, you know, as you said, you know, you introduced her <laughs> to, uh, to uh, you know, a, uh, the, the, <laughs> the normal well. life. Yeah, yeah. To, you yeah. know, to the outside world, which yeah. is great. Um, so that, that's really cool. Um, so uh, just moving on, actually. Um, so The River by Bruce Springsteen. Talk to me a little bit about, a bit, a bit about this first track. I, I, I love Bruce. Uh, I founded this out at, at Cambridge. Uh, I had a very good friend there. We used to go and look, look through all the secondhand record stores. And we looked at lots of stuff like Neil Young, or whatever. But the one that really, really captured me almost from the first time I heard him was Bruce Springsteen. I think he's a brilliant songwriter. I think he's a brilliant performer. I love how he makes stories out of his out of his songs, how his lyrics so often create a story. And The River is a very good example of that. Doc uh, Fernie and I actually went to see him live in Dublin. And you know, even he was in his late 60s by then, I think. Even then, I mean, he played for nearly three hours, barely stopping to draw breath. An extraordinary performer, incredibly charismatic. And The River has always been my favourite song of his. I, I love many of them just because I absolutely love the lyric. I think it's a very sad lyric in many ways. It's about 
dreams and happiness that don't quite uh, turn out to be what you hope they would be. But it's very typically Bruce in the world that it portrays. And I love it. I think it's a brilliant song. Definitely. Well, we'll move on to hear that now. Thank you, Mr. Fellowot.
an incredible song. Very no, that's that's a that's a great pick. Honestly, I do like that. That's lovely. Um, so uh, you are a Bryanston veteran, Mister Fallowat. You you do have. I think I, I cannot argue with that. Although the word veteran worries me slightly, but uh, I am <laughs> in, in a positive way. No, I think from from you know we were chatting a little bit before before um before coming on here tonight, and you were saying that you are the second, I believe, longest standing teacher. I think I am. Graham uh, Elliott, Mr. Elliott, uh, came, uh, I think, two years before me or, or maybe f- maybe a year and a half before me. Um, but I think apart from him, um, I am now the, the longest serving teacher here. Yeah. That is amazing. So obviously you've seen a lot of change in that time. Th- 34 years, that, that's a hundred term. Uh, yeah, so enough. this is my 34th year. So I realised last term, actually, the night before term began in January, I was lying in bed sort of pondering the term as you, as you do. And I suddenly realised, I thought, hang on, I've done 33 years, so this must be my 100th term. Wow. So, yeah, I've seen a lot of changes, but also, you know, I, I, there are quite a lot of things that probably haven't actually changed that much, hopefully, I think. I think still many of the essentials that I always loved about Branston are still very very much the case and certain lovely things that i've always done and have been very much part of my life like the a3 festival and things like that are still better than ever in many ways actually i think in, in the atmosphere that and the breadth of the festival now is is far better than it was in the early days and i think it just grows and grows so so although things have changed you know heads have changed and colleagues have changed students change all the time there, there's certain things that, that have remained quite constant Absolutely. Obviously, yeah, a lot has changed, but it stayed the same. The A3 Festival is, you know, almost like a pivotal um, uh, part of the uh, the academic year. It's just, it's nice to have a, an academic break, in a sense, uh, the whole school to watch, which is lovely. Yeah. I'm a massive fan of the A3 Festival, Ollie. Um, I think, I mean, I, I, for a reason I won't bore you with, I wrote down quite a lot about this year, actually, just privately. And... Um, just started to think about all the students who'd been involved in it. Now, obviously, you have people like yourself who've already done a lot, and it gives you a chance to do more. That's brilliant. And you have your, your musical stars who perform, and you know, so you have your stars who who star again. But you have so many people who have really not, for whatever reason, done very much in terms of drama or music or or any sort of involvement in the arts since they came here, and they sort of come out of the woodwork every year. And there are so many people who do things that are really memorable and I hope very memorable to them and very inspiring for them. Uh, I also just love seeing the way the, the, the year group bonds. I love the conga line. It was one of my uh, one of my proudest inventions, the conga line. I think is one of the most wonderfully wacky Bryanstonian moments of of the whole year yeah hugely iconic amazing it is a truly iconic and joyful moment that moment when the two lines cross uh, around the pond and everyone's just the, the happiness and the joy and the togetherness uh is is incredible and i love it every year i never get tired of it no we we'll never get old absolutely what would you say is your favorite um thing well i guess you know through your experience what's your favorite thing you know that's kind of still a part of bryson that was when you when you joined 30 33 34 years ago well, I, I think the thing that I've always loved about Bryanston, and it was very much there when I arrived, um, but it's still here in maybe slightly different form. But I've loved the relationship as a teacher that one can have with students. And over the years, and actually, although I'm pretty old now, I still feel that actually, I might be wrong, but I feel that my the relationship I have with a lot of the students I teach and tutor and direct in plays is actually exactly the same as when I arrived here when I was 20, 
four or whatever. Um, I, I think it's one of the great strengths of Branson. I think that one-on-one -on -one tutoring system and the correction period system in the sixth form and just the culture that comes from that just makes, if you are the type of teacher as I am who want to have those types of relaxed and open and honest relationships with pupils, it makes it very easy to do so. And it makes it a pleasure to teach in the school, but I also think it's probably the greatest strength of the school. Definitely. It's what makes Bryson unique. It's actually one of the drawing factors that, um, you know, that enabled me to come here, really. I think, um, you know, that kind of one-on-one um, -on -one system is, uh, is you know, it, it's pivotal, really. It's great. I, so. I think it's really important. And, and it's not just the individual one-on-ones. It's, it's the atmosphere and the culture that emanates from that all around the school. Um, and I still think that school has changed a lot and it's had a, you know, an interesting two or three years with lots of changes, but that stays constant for me and that is crucial. If that changed, I might bring an end to my career here, but it's not going to change. It, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't make Bryanston Bryanston without no. it, to be honest. Absolutely. No. And um, obviously, um, you've been, uh, actually, we were also saying just before the show, you are the longest standing husband as well at the moment, I think. Yes, oh, well, yes, I did 17 years in Beechwood uh, without break. I've had, there's one other person, I think, who, who perhaps did a similar amount, but had a break in between. But I think I'm the longest standing sort of <laughs> without break uh, husband. Yeah, yeah I, I look back on it and I cannot believe I did it. 17 years with 13-year-old boys. Uh, I cannot believe I did it. But actually, I loved it. And I think it was a job that really suited me. I loved it. I believe very passionately in the importance of those first few weeks and few months in setting the standards for the school, but also in creating the right atmosphere, making few people feel comfortable and at home. And so for me, it was a job I felt was incredibly important. Um, I had, you know, I had some amazing years. I had a couple of pretty tricky groups. You know, I went through the whole lot. But I look back on it with, with a lot of pleasure and a lot of satisfaction. The one thing that you don't have, the one regret I have, I think, of running a junior house for all that time and never having a chance at a senior house, is that you only are there for a year. So Definitely. although you continue to see the pupils as they walk through the, the school and you bump into them a lot, and it's really nice, and then they come back as stripes later on, yes. prefects, which is really nice. You don't have that constant feeling of watching them and guiding them right the way through Seems their school great, career. Uh, and that's the, I would have liked a chance to have done that for a few years in a senior house, but that's only a small regret. I, you know, I, I loved running Beechwood. I don't regret it at all. Yeah, it's unique. I mean, it's two of 12 houses, isn't it, that, that have that kind of system, the yeah. junior boys' house system. And it's very rare in the country, actually. Not, there are not many schools have a, have a, a first-year boys set up like that. And, you know, I, I felt it was very important. There's another major advantage of it, of course. Not only is it, I think, uh, a, a very gentle way of introducing pupils, many of whom have not boarded before, into uh, Branston, much bigger environment for, for most of them. But it also, of course, has that, it brings with it the chance to, at the end of the year, to try and form groups as they go into the senior houses that actually will really work well together. Whereas in a normal environment, you pick your house, you know, at Sherburn or or Marlborough, wherever you go, and you just have to cross your fingers and hope you get on with the people in your house because you have no control. Whereas this, this having a year gives everyone, the students, but also the teachers, a chance to sort of see who goes well together. It, yeah, it's more guided and tailored, which is... Yeah, Again, I think it. Something. I think it works well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, sorry. Moving on, we. Uh, I believe your next song. I think uh, is. 
Oh, Wonderful Tonight by Eric Clapton. Yes. Well, this is a very simple one. This is um, Memories of My Children, actually. Uh, just as I was brought up with music in the household, I was very keen for my children for all to always have music around. Um, they were both playing instruments at, from an early age. They both became uh, music scholars at Branston. Um, Adam, my son, still plays a lot of music, was quite keen to become a, a professional musician, but probably now isn't, is, going, is not. Probably going to just go and have it as a lovely hobby. And my daughter still plays the piano beautifully. Um, so when they were young, I used to always sing them a song before bed. Uh, you know, might, you know, might read a, a book as well, or my wife might read a book uh, to them. Um, but I would always sing them a song. One of the songs that I always sung them, and they used to sort of, as they got a bit older, they joined in, was this beautiful song by Eric Clapton, Wonderful Tonight. It's not particularly a song for children. It's just a lovely song. And I don't know why I started singing it to them, but I always did. So it, whenever I hear it, it reminds me of the time when my children were very young. Oh, that's lovely. Let's hear it now. Thank you. <laughs>
amazing cool wonderful tonight by eric clapton a great great lovely song, song. lovely song yeah. definitely no so mr fan of what you i think one of the main things you definitely by bryson students go down as you know being remembered as is a uh, you know the epic director i think in a way but one of the one of the many things of course um so uh from my own experience a couple of years ago uh two and a half i think now um you directed an incredible incredible um show les mis here at Bryanston, yeah. combined with Blanford School. Talk, talk to me a little bit about your experience. Yes, I mean, I've always loved directing plays since I came here, and I've directed a lot of plays and a lot of musicals. Um, it's always the most demanding thing I do and the most fulfilling thing I do, and the two tend to go hand in hand. Um, and as I get older, it, gets, it probably gets more demanding and probably more fulfilling as well. Um, I just love working with casts. I love working with casts and starting with pretty much nothing and then building it up. Um, so I've done lots of musicals, all of which hold very special memories in my in my mind, in my heart. Uh, Fiddler on the Roof, which my son was in, uh, fantastic cast, uh, Cabaret, West Side Story, um, My Fair Lady. But Les Mis was something a little bit special. And I think what made it very special um, there was a very high quality cast. It is an extraordinary musical, of course. It is epic in its scale. And we produced it in a very epic way with that amazing rotating stage, which you never normally get in any school production. I'm incredibly lucky to have what we have in the Code Hall and to have all that technical help. So we were able to do it in an extraordinarily professional way. And, of course, it was with Banford School. And it's the first time in my very long career here that we've done anything of substance with Blanford. And I think it was really important that we did it. I hope we'll do it many times again. Working with Lucy, the director of performing arts, there was a pleasure. She's fantastic to work with. And I just thought the whole experience worked perfectly. It was, it was a massive challenge getting them to come to rehearsals and huge commitment on their side. Um, and I was I spent a lot of time worrying that it might not work. We didn't have many weeks to get it together. Uh, but seeing it all come together, um, you know, with the help of, of you know, Mr. Isles as well, of course, was, was extraordinary. And it will always hold a very special place in my heart. There's no doubt about it. Definitely. It, it is hugely unique. And, and, yeah, and I remember you joining the cast. Yes. Suddenly, because yeah, we needed, we needed uh, another uh, revolutionary. Yeah. And I thought, well, i, I got to have a guy I can rely on. He might not be able to sing, but <laughs> that doesn't matter. We'll get him in anyway. Oh, absolutely. Singing was the best one, but it was maybe more the, uh, the acting that uh, I was maybe a slight bit stronger on. No, it's an amazing, amazing experience. Um, and a cast of near on, I think, 100. Or yeah, it was almost memory. exactly 100, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, unheard of, isn't it? It was just, and we had to use dressing rooms all over the school. It was, it was crazy. Uh, but at something of that scale with involving so many people, because also you've got all the people then backstage as well. And, you know, so you've got 120, 130 people involved. Uh, and for it all to work, everybody's got to get their, their job right and, and commit to it. And it's just amazing to be part of that. Um, and I hope I'll get a chance to direct at least one more big musical at some stage in my uh, the remaining years I have here. But also I hope to do maybe a couple of plays as well. I also love doing plays that I've written, like The Hug I did recently. And I've written another one, which I'm very keen to do next year, actually, which is a bit more serious about sort of more on mental health issues. So I love writing. I hope that will be something I do more of as well, writing and directing. 
hugely i mean les mis is really quite special to me obviously you know i was involved and it's the, the main kind of production i've done here but i believe the hug i know you wrote yourself and that's quite personal to you um and obviously i know you know quite a lot of uh um you know personal matters kind of tied up in that play yes that well, play. yeah very simply i mean the whole cast know this and i think i wrote it on the program so it's not a secret um i wrote it in honor of my mother who died of covid um I suppose it's 15 months ago now. So I wrote it soon after her death. And the whole of her last year of life, she had, because she had uh, dementia and was totally immobile, so she couldn't walk. So she, my father couldn't look after her. So she was in a care home, a lovely care home that looked after her. But in COVID, we either weren't able to see her at all, or if we could see her, I had to be as probably further away than we are sitting. I wasn't able to, I had to sort of shout, uh, and she didn't have very good hearing, and try and talk to her. So the whole last year of her life, I never got to hug her. I never got to touch her physically. And when, when I have a very close relationship with my mother, but also I think in the two or three years prior to that, when she had been um, still with dementia and struggling to really understand what was going on, that physical comfort, I always used to go, and the first thing I do is sit really close to her and put my arm around her and hold her and say, hi, I'm here, you know. And that physical thing, I think, uh, overcomes any mental barriers. Uh, and I wasn't able to do that for the whole of the last year. So I wrote it at the Hug, which was actually a happy play ultimately, but it was a play about the importance of physical comfort and showing how much you love people in a sort of post-COVID world. So yeah, it, it means a huge amount to me. And I had a wonderful cast. I was very lucky. There's some very talented people in the current B year and C year who took the main roles. And I double cast it again, like I did Bottom of the Mears, and gave a lot of people a chance to do it. Um, and, and actually, we were just saying, double casting saved it because uh, one of the main parts, or the main part, uh, got COVID. But fortunately, because she was double cast, that Margot, Ireland, who would have been fantastic, but she wasn't able to do it. But fortunately, uh, we had Emily Clary to come in and who knew the role because she was also doing the role. So definitely it saved us. It, it saved us. Yeah, that's amazing. And I've also, you yeah, know, that's it's no. I'm I'm so sorry to hear that. Really, it's, it's an incredibly touching, um, uh, you know, play, and you know what, what's behind it is is really really inspiring and incredible. Um, so um, I believe also your your third your third song. Is also related to it is actually yes this is something uh, that's very personal to me but it's actually Branston it's a Brans a recording of a London concert about uh, probably about nine years ago um, and it is my daughter playing a beautiful piece of Shostakovich piano a, a, a bit of his piano concerto um, and. This holds a very special place in my heart. Now, it did anyway, because hearing her play, it was one of the most moving things of, of my life. But it's, it's now taken on an extra dimension because at my mother's funeral for COVID, we were only allowed 30 people and we weren't allowed to sing, but we were allowed to play music. So um, Adam, my son, and I wrote a song, which we played. Uh, various other people uh, did readings and whatever, which were recorded. And we played this recording of my daughter playing this beautiful piece of piano uh, in the middle of my mother's funeral. So when I hear it now, it always has two very special memories. One, the actual performance of my daughter all those years ago when she was a 17-year-old Branson student. 
and one, of course, it was played also in honour of my mother. And it's an extraordinarily beautiful piece of music. I know a lot of people don't like classical music, and I don't listen to a lot, but I challenge anyone not to listen to this. And it's played, it's recorded live and played by Branston students, and it's pretty good quality, as you will hear. That's got a fantastic connotation to it. So, yeah, let's hear it now. Thank you.
honestly, it, this might just be the most powerful piece of music that I think I've heard here in the studio. It is so symbolic and it's so nice to attach such a, such a lovely piece of uh, classical music with such a powerful and a nice memory yeah, in a way. Yeah, it's when I'm feeling a bit miserable about life um, and when I'm struggling a bit, I generally just put this on and quietly and listen to it. It's a, such a beautiful live recording. And every single note played by Branson students, you know, it's, it's, it's very impressive as well. But also obviously very close to me for both my daughter and my mother. Definitely, for, yeah. for good reasons as well. No, that, that's amazing. Uh, we were just saying in the studios, it's, you know, it's um, definitely if you're watching from an audience's perspective, you must be super nervous. You probably can't appreciate the music there at the time. I, I was so paralysed by nerves, I remember. And my mum was sitting very close to me. And I remember the joy that in her face. Uh, but I think all of us could only really enjoy it once it was over because you're so desperate when you're watching someone you love do something like this and you know it's a once-in-a-lifetime moment. You're so desperate that they don't make a mistake. And she didn't. So it was exactly. So yeah. really quite, you know, the chances yeah. kind of came together. You yeah. know, one-in-a-million opportunity really, you know, with Bryanson students and, you know, to watch, you know, with the family. That's, that is, that is, that's amazing. Um, so, sorry, in a slightly different note. Um, so... Obviously, you're a classics teacher and, um, you know, you teach here, you know, wonderfully at Bryanston and you're involved in the Greece trip, I believe. Yes, uh, which happened the, famous, the famous, the famous, Greece the iconic Greece trip. Definitely. Uh, iconic for lots of good reasons. It's an amazing trip. I've done it probably hmm, six, seven times now um, with the wonderful uh, Mr. Holland, who sadly is retiring this term. Uh, an amazing man. And he's been an incredible friend and colleague of mine through for the last 20 years. And he goes and Doc Fernley goes. And uh, this time Dr. Pullen went, the new young classicist on the block. Uh, and it's just it's just great. We see great things. We see wonderful. You know, we see uh, the uh, the Parthenon, the Acropolis. We see go to Delphi, the site of the old Oracle, Olympia, the wonderful theatre at Epidaurus. We see great things, but also it's a senior trip. And we just, I think, the atmosphere is always great. We are always we do things together. We go out together in the evenings. Uh, we eat together. We drink a little bit together, but in a nice, civilized, fun way. And it's very Bryanstonian in that way. It isn't. There's no us and them. It's no sort of you go out for an hour now and you know see if you can you know, grab a couple of beers while no one's looking. We do it together. It's very, and that's what makes it very special. I think. And I think if you were to ask any of the students who. Uh, went on it this time, or or indeed have been on it before. It's it's always a really special memory for them. I think they all absolutely loved it. And we had a great group this year as well. They were really fun, really fun to be with. Definitely, and it's you know it's um kind of combining the idea of um you know that kind of togetherness that we were mentioning earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another part of the Bryanston spirit, and um you know also another long-standing tradition that is yeah. so Bryanston. I like a bit of long-standing traditions. Absolutely, and this is one of them. I mean, yeah. it's every other year. Is that is that right? Yeah, so. every other year. Yep. Definitely. Well, Bride Radio will become. It's not quite yet there, but it will become. I hope a long-standing tradition, something that will give a lot of pleasure to a lot of people. The Brogue yeah. is another thing I'm very yes. proud of, uh, which uh, I began uh, with students. It's a student magazine, but I sort of encouraged them to start it up. I think probably about twelve years ago now, and it's really up and running now and you know i think a magazine we can be really proud of every single word written by students and edited by students put together by students the only thing they don't do is actually the actual act of publishing but everything else is done by them and i i think it's great i think it's it's a magazine the school can be very proud of 
definitely it's down to a professional standard almost isn't it as well? yeah then like, they, you know and they and anyone who wants to go on and, and be uh anything to do with journalism potentially or magazine writing should definitely get involved because it's fascinating and you get to do everything you want in it you know you can write you can edit you can photograph you can draw you can do you know whatever you want it's it's a student's magazine so they do whatever they want with it as long as it's not too rude <laughs> another healthy Bryanston <laughs> tradition as yeah. well that's no that's pretty phenomenal and you also i believe um you so you you're kind of the man behind all the scholarships as well yeah that's a, a more recent well. thing which yeah. it, which is evolving and developing and actually today i announced um that we're going to have so our first internal scholarships for the b year and the d year but you yourself know ollie that we had some for the first time ever last term yes. i will embarrass you slightly by yeah. saying that <laughs> you were one of the a3s who was uh very deservedly given an internal scholarship for everything that you've done in the school um as as were others and i think it's a wonderful thing and it's amazing we haven't done it before because every year in every year group there are several people who are outstanding but for whatever reason they haven't they didn't come here with a scholarship maybe they didn't take it maybe they were on bad form on the day maybe just when they were 12 or 13 they were they hadn't quite hit their peak but it's really lovely to be able to reward those people uh, and show that we really do recognise their massive contribution to the school by giving them a, a full, proper internal scholarship. So, yeah, that's really exciting. And for me, that's a really positive addition. I'm very happy to have been asked to do it, actually. And, and I hope I will develop the role over the next few years. Yeah, again, quite a, you know, quite a, a nice idea. Uh, you know, all schools, I mean, most definitely private schools have a lot of um, a lot of scholarships kind of thing. But an internal scholarship, again, unique and it's... Uh, yeah, and special. And, it's, and, and yeah, to be honest, to be yeah, an internal scholar, scholar is in many ways a more special thing than just being a scholar. A scholar you get when you're 12 or 13, you know, you might have been very well trained for it by your prep school or whatever. And I don't want to belittle it. You know, there's some wonderful scholars in this school. But I tell you what, you don't get an internal scholarship in this school unless you really deserve it and have proved over some time that you deserve it not just through your talent but also crucially through your attitude and your positivity uh, amongst your year group your house your friends your classes and those people should be rewarded and, I, and it's really great and a great privilege to be able to do it actually i love doing it last term it was lovely to be able to reward people who deserve it and, and it brings great pleasure but much deserved pleasure I love it. So we're starting that again this term with the B year group. So hopefully some of them will then go on into the sixth form as scholars, but also the D year group. If there are two or three maybe who've been absolutely outstanding this year and have already shown that you know, they really are the type of people that are going to be incredibly positive role models throughout their time, then we will have a chance to reward them as well. Yeah, role model. It's. I think that's probably one of the best words to describe it. Really, um, that's what you want from your scholars. Ideally, it doesn't mean they need to be perfect human beings, no, 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 but no. they need to be positive. They need to give things to the school, and people need to look at them and say, "Yeah, well, I can understand why." Someone you can why they're a scholar. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, so a great, a great scheme that hopefully will carry quite a lot of weighting in the future, as as, as it is, you know, by the so. now, yeah. which is lovely. Yeah. Um, so just moving back actually to, to I think the final song for the evening, uh, probably it's only four tonight. We're kind of right, running slightly over uh, time schedule. Um, Too much talking, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, between me and you, Mr. Balawat. <laughs> um, I believe one day more, you know, a, a powerful and, uh, you know, it's a, a pivotal part of the, um, of, of Les Mis, of course. Uh, and, you know, 
quite you know touching for both me and you, Mister Fallowalt. Really. Um, well, I thought it'd be um, nice to to end with a late finale, song because definitely. I know it means a, a lot to you as well, and you were very much part of that that uh, memorable production. One day more, I could have picked any song really. I mean, Les Mis is just full of cracking songs. One day more is just a great chorus song that brings the first half to an end. Um, and it starts with with individual solos and then just builds up into this wonderful uh, epic chorus. Very difficult to do. It's it's the one. Do you remember where we had to learn to walk in time? Yeah, the marching. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> the marching in yeah, time yeah, in the V exactly. shape, yeah. almost impossible. I'm not ever sure we quite got it right. Yeah, it's tricky, but, to but we did our best in time. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Um, no, thank you. Uh, just quickly before we we end here tonight, uh, we'll be back here again next week. Um, it's Emily who's going to be taking over for the next few weeks, I believe. Um, so, you know, it's her final her final term, Julie. So, um, you know, you'll hear more from her, which is great. Um, and um, yeah, thank you very much, Mr. Fallow. I won't spoil the special guests coming up, but um, it's been great to have you here tonight. And uh, it's okay. I've, I've loved it, Ollie. Season. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And uh, yeah, we're here one day more. Thank you again, Mr. Fallow. One day more, another day, another destiny, this never-ending road to Calvary. These men who seem to know my crime will surely come a second time. One day more. I did not live until today. How can I live when we are parted? One day more. Tomorrow you'll be walled away. And yet with you my world has started. One more day all on my own. Will we ever meet again? One more day with him not caring. I was born to be with you. What a life I might have known. But he never saw me there One more day before the storm Do I follow where she goes At the barricade of freedom Probably the best school radio station in the world This is Bry Radio Proudly sponsored by the BPA